Welcome to the PaxX podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, and sponsored by Jetliner Cabin's ebook app. This is episode 60 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? Doing well, Mary. It's nice to be speaking with you again. I guess the summer's sort of winding down for us north of the equator, so uh, trying to finish up on the projects that we promised ourselves we'd do this summer. Oh, amen to that. You know, it's been a very wet summer where I'm at, Max, but it's uh, been a very dry and fiery summer elsewhere. So it's been kind of wild looking at all the, the kind of climate change situation transpire. Yeah, some stark contrasts. Yeah, seriously, seriously. Well, it's good to be talking to you again. Um, before we get started, we'd like to thank the Jetliner Cabins ebook app for sponsoring this week's podcast. Jetliner Cabins is the story of how scientists, designers, engineers, maintenance, and marketing specialists have transformed the stark tubular interiors of typical airliners into unique settings. This ebook app invites readers to explore the expertise, discover the details, and enjoy the fascinating world of Jetliner Cabins. Cabins. Visit JetlinerCabins.com to learn more and to download the app. Now, it is my great pleasure to introduce our guest today. Serving as Operations Manager at Runway Girl Network, Becca Alkima oversees our advertising assets and client relationships and assists with multimedia content generation. And as the mother of a severely allergic child, she is also very well versed in the challenges posed by allergens, whether in daily life or on the road. Welcome back to the show, Becca. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> Becca, it's great to be speaking with you, and let's jump right in, take a look at some of the PaxX news stories that are making headlines. First, Southwest Airlines has long served peanuts to passengers as a signature snack, but as of August 1st, the airline stopped offering peanuts to, quote, ensure the best onboard experience for everyone, especially for customers with peanut-related allergies. Now, there's always been some pushback when airlines take something away from passengers. But, Becca, this feels different to me. What do you think of Southwest's decision? And are you seeing any other notable efforts by the industry to meet the needs of allergy sufferers? Well, yeah, I think that you're right. And there's a lot of pushback when you take something away. Um, I guess my personal opinion is rather than take something away, uh, it's sometimes better to have policies in place to protect people that have allergies, but also to maybe offer something as an alternative instead. Um, a while back, uh, Air Canada started offering a Made Good is a product that is allergen-free or top 10 allergen-free, and they started offering that product. So if I were to fly with them, I'm able to actually get something for my daughter as well as having a policy in place and other people being able to get what they want instead of taking something away necessarily. Becca, are you surprised by when you see the pushback? Because, you know, I, I know you've, you've, you've witnessed some of the threads that have been playing out on social media when Southwest and it made this announcement. Um, sometimes it's quite negative, actually. Are you surprised by that? Or is that kind of what you expect when you're dealing with an allergic child and, and you get pushed back on a regular basis on the ground? It's what I expect. I knew the second I saw that story that it was going to get a lot of negative light. People really like their peanuts um, or just their right to have what they think they deserve. And I don't think they really understand the full ramifications of the slightest touch of peanuts to someone who's allergic. Um, but I understand where they're coming from in that allergies 
extend. I mean, my daughter's also allergic to eggs in the same way that she is peanuts. So if someone were to have an egg for breakfast or an egg sandwich on the plane, it's just as detrimental to her. So where do we draw the line as to what you can take away and what you can't take away? Becca, do you think partly it's an awareness issue? I mean, uh, as for myself, I'm an old guy. And when I was a kid, there wasn't anything about peanut allergies. If they existed, nobody knew about them or talked about them. And so for maybe a certain group of people, this is something kind of new and different. And people don't understand what this is about or how many folks are affected. Do you think that's a contributing factor to some of the pushback? I think awareness is is definitely part of the pushback. I also think it's just sometimes entitlement and people wanting, you know, what they want and not really in the consideration of what how that affects others around them. And I can understand that because as much as they want peanuts is as much as I don't want them around for the safety of my child. Um, who's to say that if my passenger experience is affected or there's someone's going to have their their experience on the plane affected by the different situations. Um, I think making people aware is really the first step and the most important. I mean, even if people want to have nuts on the plane, making them aware of how they can affect someone else on the plane might give them more incentive to either not eat them right away or to be more careful when eating them and not touch lots of surfaces, et cetera. So speaking of nuts on the plane, Becca, you know, in a lot of, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, there's lots of, uh, all sorts of different nuts. Um, but, um, pre- you know, there's a lot of top tier airlines that offer uh, a bowl of nuts in their premium cabins, whether it's business first or indeed premium economy. Um, the little bowl of warm nuts is kind of often comes uh, accompanied with a glass of sparkling or a glass of juice um, or water. Is there kind of is that is there a greater risk I suppose when you're offering the the nuts in that sort of form versus the packaged nut is there some some important differences there There really is I mean if you're offering a passenger packaged nuts uh, it definitely eliminates the flight attendants handling them which eliminates a greater risk of that the flight attendant then handling something that they give to my daughter or someone with an allergy and passing it on. Uh, if you're handing them just a package of nuts, I believe, for example, WestJet just amended their policy to allow tree nuts because they want to offer prepackaged almonds in their plus seats. At least it's prepackaged is all I can say about that um, because it minimizes the risk. If the flight attendant has to handle the the product directly, it definitely increases their risk of passing it on to uh, someone who's allergic. Interesting. As a parent of a child with severe allergies, and we're talking severe insofar as your child could go into anaphylactic shock. Yes. Are you choosing one carrier over another based on how they will accommodate people with allergies? Is is that something that, you know, everyone always says, well, passengers book based on the lowest fare. But is this a big consideration? And as more and more people, and they're seeing the numbers are skyrocketing with people with allergies, do you think that this is going to factor in more and more? It definitely does with me. It's going to factor in as to who I fly with 100%. Um, there's risks in everyday life. And I'm not going to put my child or anybody who is allergic in a bubble where they can't experience the world. Um, our EpiPen is our insurance policy, but they are not always 100% guaranteed in any way, shape, or form. And so you have to minimize the risk in other ways. And policy in an airline is definitely priority over 
or for the price of the seat for for me. Uh, price of the seat is not a luxury I get to pick from if they don't have a policy that will make people aware of her allergies and somewhat help me protect her and give me the opportunity to protect her. Just in terms of making people aware, you're, you're saying that there's going to be an announcement at the beginning of the flight. We have a child on board that's severely allergic. You know, we would appreciate that buffer zone effectively. For, yes. made, okay. Yeah, okay. precautions, just precautions. I mean, um, WestJet offers something that is, I think, very important because they don't take, they, they clean their planes, but they have their process of doing it. They allow someone with an allergy to go onto the plane and clean their area pre-boarding, which gives you a little bit more control over your exact area that you're going to be in at least. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mary, you mentioned uh, increasing numbers of people. And uh, what I see is that, yes, in fact, uh, across all age groups and all allergy types that uh, the uh, people uh, afflicted with allergies is increasing. But with respect to uh, children and peanut allergies, uh, I saw in the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology at their annual scientific meeting that they reported that uh, peanut allergy in children has increased 21% since 2010. And that uh, nearly 2.5% of U.S. children may have an allergy to peanuts. So uh, that's that's a, a heck of a growth rate. So if uh, someone, if an airline or if passengers are minimizing uh, the uh, the issue here, uh, that's that's going to change pretty quickly with that growth rate. Oh, that's staggering. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew it was serious, but I had no idea. That's that is remarkable, Max. Yeah. So it's affecting more and more people, and I guess it comes down to, you know, airlines are starting to recognize that. And Southwest, though, it, it's uh, peanuts were an iconic part of the uh, service and brand, um, have, have uh, gone the way of the dodo at Southwest. And, and I suppose good on them in the end. So it's good to see change and, and, and airlines paying attention to the, the passenger experience on this level. All right. Well, next Airlines are ramping up their crackdown on emotional support animals on board. We've talked about this several times, I think. And here again, Southwest has found itself in the headlines. They've issued a statement with updates to their service animal policies. Now, they say that emotional support animals, or ESAs, will be limited to dogs and cats. Also, trained service animals, or TSAs, are now aligned with recent DOT guidance and are limited to dogs, cats, and miniature horses. Also, now fully trained psychiatric support animals, or PSAs, are formally accepted at Southwest as trained service animals. Previously, Southwest had informally accepted them as trained service animals. Becca, what do you think? Is Southwest being responsive to the needs and the safety of its customers? Um, I think they're doing what, what, from what I've researched, what everyone else is doing. They're all creating a policy to try to find a balance between making people who need these animals happy, as well as the people who might have reasons for not wanting these animals on the plane happy. Um, I think it's a hard line to draw. You know, uh, the uh, there are people that need 
service animals. As we've said before, there are veterans with PTSD. There are uh, people with uh, various kind of uh, mental issues that require these emotional support animals. And, you know, it is finding that line, isn't it, really? It's finding that line. But I guess on the other hand, and airlines and many of the airlines have said this, is that they've seen major abuses, right, Max? That yes. And that's the driver behind the kind of crackdown. Uh, you know, I guess my question is, you know, these airlines, the policies are alike in some ways, but you really as a passenger need to look at each individual airline's policy because it turns out that some are a little bit more uh, lax than others. So Becca, I understand that Air Canada only will accept dogs as emotional. That's wild. It is. I was looking at the different um, some of the major airlines in North America and Air Canada definitely jumped out at me as having a policy, uh, a standard policy. If you need the paperwork, you need this document in that document. And then right at the bottom, they say in asterisks, it's not even at the top of the page that Air Canada does not accept animals other than dogs as emotional support or psychiatric service animals. Wow. Uh, Mac, is that is are, is they discriminating against the emotional support animals? I mean, like, legitimate question because some people obviously have different types of animals for emotional support. Sure, sure. I, I guess if you're a cat lover, <laughs> you may feel discriminated against. But uh, I don't know what the basis is for that severe restriction to just include dogs. Is it because more people are allergic to cat dander, or I don't know, you know, what their reason is, but. When I'm thinking about all this, though, I wonder, is it better for each airline to have its own policies and therefore the customers can select the airline based in part on on that consideration as well? Or is this something that is better regulated at a, a higher level so that it's uniform across all the airlines? I don't know. What do you think? I think that's something that um, I was thinking about, too, is that I personally think maybe there needs to be airlines that, yes, this airline, we're going to let you fly with this animal. And this airline, if you don't want to fly with this animal, then you can fly this airline and you're safe. And you don't have to worry that, like, if you're afraid of dogs, this airline is not going to take any animals, regardless of the reasoning behind it. And so someone terrified of dogs can feel safe on this airline. And you just have to do your research, just like I do with allergies and nuts and other things for my daughter. There's a wide variety of um, animals. I mean, it was, I believe, United or um, United that said they will not accept um, bulldog-typed animals. Hmm. Oh, the uh, the pit bull, the pitties. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Delta. I got to say and uh, to our listeners, and I appreciate people's fur babies are super important to them. And, of course, oftentimes are like their children. You know that, Max. You know, I mean, I, I've met people who actually prefer dogs over humans, and um, that's another story. But it's, it's they become their babies. So, and that includes pit bulls. And woe be the person who, who says, you know, I'm a bit afraid of your dog, but as someone who is actually fearful of large breed dogs, particularly pit bulls, Rottweilers, and even German Shepherds, I know it's sad, (laughs) Um, but um, if I were to board uh, an aircraft and I'm sitting beside uh, a person who has, to be clear, an emotional support animal that is a pit bull, I can tell you I would be petrified. 
And so I know that in the various articles that have kind of covered these airlines' decisions to kind of crack down on the on the emotional support animals, one of the issues is biting. They've you know Delta Airlines particularly has said that this has been a problem for them with dogs that have bitten passengers. Defecation in the aisles has been an issue, um, and you know of course also there's a space issue because the some of the emotional support animals, uh, for example, the miniature horses can be quite large. Mm. Yes. So you're seeing people then sitting in the bulkhead seats with the emotional support horse or very large dog. And, you know, it begs all sorts of other questions about what does that mean then for seat availability of passengers with reduced mobility who may also be vying for those same seats? Where does the balance happen? Do do you think, I mean, Max, I'm intrigued by the idea of regulating it. Um, and setting a standard. Um, do you think on the flip side of that, there's an opportunity for an airline to to focus on being a pet-friendly airline and say, look, we're the airline for you and your pets? Or would that devolve into, you know, a, like a, a 1985 Aeroflot situation with chicken, <laughs> chickens in the aisle? Like what? Yeah. Do, you, do you think that that's a marketable idea? <laughs> it may very well be. When I say... Regulation. I mean, I say that with a great hesitation because it's it's not my my personal favorite approach. No. Um, <laughs> but um, as as a as a differentiator of product offerings, uh, it it might have some <laughs> some legs. Um, Pet Airways. <laughs> yes. One of the things that I think about also in this topic is documentation. I mean, I I want to see people who have legitimate need for these kinds of uh, you know support animals or service animals to be able to you know accommodate those people but at the same time I, I don't like what we're seeing where people just basically are bringing their pets on board the aircraft so i think documentation is is important but what southwest has said here is is kind of confusing uh in in the case of trained service animals, uh, they say the customer with a disability must provide or must be able to provide credible verbal assurance that the animal is a trained service animal. What is credible verbal assurance? I mean, that, that seems kind of vague to me. I, I like the idea of having some kind of, I don't know, registration system or uh, some a document from a medical professional or that sort of thing to uh, to verify which uh, which animals are acceptable in this context, not credible verbal assurance. Yeah, yeah. No, that's actually a very, very good point. There's too much ambiguity, really, when you think about it. And what's fascinating to me as well is that, you know, one of the concerns, obviously, is the, the, the kind of horrific... Um, number of deaths that are seen when animals are put in the hold. And that's part of the reason why you're seeing so many people try to bring their animals on board is that they're afraid that they go into the cargo hold and they don't come out alive. And all you got to do is look at DOT statistics to see that that that's a genuine concern. And then parallel to that, we have the passengers of reduced mobility and disabled passengers that are pushing to stay in their own chairs, in their own wheelchairs, because they're afraid of the chairs going down into the hold because they come out destroyed sometimes. So I feel like is the pain point, is the problem with how animals in cages and how 
mobility equipment is being treated on the ground going into the belly of the aircraft. Is there a way to address some of these concerns right there? Mm-hmm. And is there, and would industry be willing to even do that? Yeah. I definitely think that that is, if I think that you would have less people and this would maybe be less of a problem if the underlining problem that you just talked about was addressed. Um, because I'm, I'm seeing that on different sites there, like you're talking about the documentation. Most of the sites for the airlines that I've gone to ask for paper documentation, um, certain verified letters and stuff from doctors and professionalists and psychologists. Um, people aren't going to get that and they're going to try to sneak through. So just asking for credible verbal, um, I agree with you. I don't know what that's about. I think people are trying to protect their animals. I don't know why. I wouldn't fly with my dogs. <laughs> Knowing that it's not safe, I just wouldn't fly with them. I would f- find alternative transportation methods. But I guess some people are in a situation where they need to fly and they want to feel that their dog is safe and with them. And so they're finding these loopholes. Yeah. Yeah, just as a point of interest uh, in looking at this uh, over the last few days since the Southwest announcement, I noticed that Royal Caribbean Cruises has announced that they're banning emotional support animals on its ships. Oh. There's a complete ban. And that's on a cruise ship. Yes, yes. You know, this is, I mean, we are very pro-passenger here at Runway Girl Network, obviously, you know. But at the end of the day, we have to admit that there are people that have exploited, you know, where, and the airlines have made this argument as well, kind of this give an inch, take a mile mentality. And I guess the cruise lines are experiencing the same thing, Max, that, you know, where it's, it's an influx and it's overwhelming and you're accommodating one subset of people, but you're, di- you're disenfranchising another, you yes. know, yeah. uh, whether it's people that are allergic to the dogs, uh, scared of the dogs. Uh, and you know what? Fear of animals is genuine, you know, and it's no disrespect to the animal. It, it's also a knock on, knock on fear of people at this point. We're living in kind of uncertain times. And so I kind of, I understand where it's all coming from, but I do, that's fascinating that it's moving to maritime after the airlines have taken such a bold stand. Yes, yes, that was quite a surprise. All right, well, last but not least, the big Apex Expo and co-located AIX America's show will be held September 2018 in Boston. Now, these are considered must-attend events for many on the PaxX industry calendar. Mary, you, Becca, and some other members of the team are gearing up to cover the show. What do you expect to see on the show floor? Oh, gosh. I think it's going to be amazing, actually. I'm really looking forward to to these shows here in Boston. Um, I do believe that we're going to see a lot more in the way of companion app functionality. So, for example, Singapore Airlines and Lufthansa Airlines are among the airlines that have rolled out companion apps that enable passengers to review the entertainment content available on their flight in advance on their own device with the added function of creating playlists of their favorites, favorites, whether that's movies or TV shows or music. And then come the day of travel, the passenger is able to sit on the aircraft seat, sync their personal device with the onboard IFE system, and then effectively use the device to access their preset playlist or navigate the system um, via the GUI interface on the IFE system. Um, And so almost like use their device as a remote control. So we're seeing a lot more of that. And I recently interviewed Air Canada. They said they're looking at the same sort of functionality. And so I expect to see more in the way of creative um, companion app functionality 
at the Apex Expo for sure. Um, we're also seeing more on the app front that um, in line with the kind of companion app in that these apps are becoming um, much more uh, interactive. Not only will you know an airline perhaps offer you uh, all the flight information, but they're integrating it with e-commerce to be able to offer passengers and, and also tailor the offerings and personalize the offerings to passengers. Things that that passenger uh, may buy or may want to do um, and also then integrate the entertainment lineup with it. So it's kind of fascinating to see what's happening on the app front. And I, I actually genuinely think we're going to see a lot more of that. Now, we've talked about this in the past, Max, the VR headset IFE push. Mm. That's still there. And it, even though it's being pushed on a kind of in niche areas right now, whether it's business class passengers in the lounge or premium uh, in-flight sort of uh, distribution of these headsets. Um, a very interesting one that came over the wires yesterday comes from this company, Skylights, that's prominent in this space. And they have kind of tailored VR headset for children, and they're pushing it for long-haul flights. Now, this to me, on one hand, makes a little bit more sense because if you're looking at just maybe ha- carrying, say, 10 VR headsets, the logistics of that is a lot easier than I need 350 VR headsets rolled out for IFE for each passenger. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm. it's easier to have. But Becca, your daughter tried VR headset recently on the ground. What was her, what was her experience like? Did she enjoy it? She really liked it. Um, It must've felt really real because they did warn her that if she was getting nervous, she could raise her hand. Um, And at one point she did. So she must've really felt it. It must've been real, but I don't see its necessity in a plane. It would make me nervous in a plane um, to add to the experience already of being in a plane to put a child in a VR headset. They'd have to be really careful of the content they put on there. Uh, That's interesting. So making sure that the content for that VR headset won't do anything to add to kind of if a child is is fearful of flying or anything like that, you'd have to be ultra sensitive about the content that's going on board. Now, high-speed internet, Max, obviously it remains a huge, a huge one. Uh, but the, the in-flight, in, in-flight connectivity needs to be an at-home experience in the sky. We've said it many times before. But not only does it serve to entertain adult passengers and allow them to get work done, it also helps to entertain the kiddos. So when I fly with my daughter... She expects to be connected because Wi-Fi is like air and it's just supposed to be there. Sure, yeah. You're going to see all of these uh, broadband connectivity stakeholders. They are really, it's really scrapping it out and they will all be at Apex. Um, So it'll be interesting to hear what their messaging is about really giving an at-home experience in the sky because that is increasingly what passengers expect. Now, on the on the AIX America side, which is much more of an aircraft interiors focused show versus Apex, which traditionally has been more in-flight entertainment and connectivity, on the interior side, I'm really hoping that seat makers are going to address a very important issue, and that is that seat belt extenders are disengaging the airbag systems on premium class seats. So it's kind of one of these safety topics that's brewing just beneath the surface. Um, that, you know, if you are a passenger of size and you need uh, an extender belt and you're in a premium class seat, the airbag doesn't work. Oh, is that because the the, the extender doesn't uh, have the, the electrical connection? That Correct. Ah. 
Yes. And so I really think that it's important for seat makers to start innovating on the seatbelt front. And it sounds like so, you know, oh, seatbelts, who cares? But it's actually super important. And I do wonder if it's going to take, like other uh, aspects of aircraft interiors, if it's going to take a survivable accident where passengers of size fare worse than other passengers for people to kind of finally take notice of this particular issue. But we're tracking it. We're hoping to see some innovation on that front. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. But it should be a fantastic show. Now, Becca's going to uh, be helping me cover it in, in an interactive way. And one of the really cool things about this year's show is that they've introduced a new award. It's actually a, a Crystal Cabin Award that's being integrated into the Apex Annual Awards. And um, it's going to be for Best Customer Journey. Which I think is a really oh. cool thing to, yeah, it's a really cool thing to start rewarding best customer journey. And that's for the companies or individuals that are coming up with ideas that improve the passenger experience for every single touch point of the passenger experience. Like from, you know, whether it's from booking to post-flight, what can you do to, uh, to improve that experience? And, and so that, uh, some, some company is going to be awarded that. And I, I just voted on, on all of this. So I have to be very, very hush-hush. But I love that idea. I do too. I do too. It falls right in line with kind of the stuff that we love to cover at Runway Girl Network. These companies that are really innovating to improve the passenger experience with the understanding, of course, Max, that you know, the, the airlines are still doing the ultra-tight seating configurations and they're still doing those ultra-modular lavatories. Although I understand, um, I believe it was Skift who reported recently that uh, American Airlines uh, CEO Doug Parker has finally flown on the Boeing 737 MAX with modular lav and that he was in coach. So he's finally... <laughs> <laughs> He's him. finally tried it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether that changes anything, I don't know. But um, yeah, it's, is there anything, Max, as, as a passenger that you would like to see out of all of these stakeholders in the passenger experience? Well, I liked when you uh, mentioned apps at the beginning. And uh, I, I see that Tyler Dickman, who's the co-founder and CEO of Lounge Buddy, is uh, one of the speakers. And uh, I, I think that's a, a, a really fascinating topic. To, and it, maybe it relates to, to the, you know, the end-to-end -end, uh, reward uh, award um, in terms of uh, how some of these apps are really facilitating a more enjoyable experience. So I would, uh, I would look at that. I am curious about the, the VR part of it. Uh, you also mentioned that. Uh, sometimes those are shockingly realistic. Uh, yes. I, may, I may have mentioned uh, once before that I was uh, partaking in a demo uh, at a store, a VR headset. And as I'm watching these kind of cartoonish characters prancing about, this dinosaur comes around the corner, a Tyrannosaurus Rex, opens its mouth, screams, and lunges at me. And I'll tell you, it had a, it had a physical reaction. Um, I, I happened to shout out a few expletives. Uh, not you, Max. <laughs> that really angered my wife because some small children were walking behind me. Of course, I couldn't see them at the time. So, yeah, you, you do have to be careful about what content you might, you might present. Um, but also, speaking of content, I'd be interested in other forms of content making their way onto the cabin, into the, into the IFE system. Um, I, I know that there have been a, a few podcasts, for example, something close to home, that uh, mm -hmm. are, are starting to show up on some flights. 
Uh, but I'd be interested in in learning about what kinds of interesting creative and new content is being offered. Actually, that's an interesting point, Max. Wouldn't uh, wouldn't the PaxX podcast and Airplane Geeks do very well as in-flight connectivity, as in-flight uh, entertainment, Max? Oh, I would think so. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Just very quickly back to the VR. It's interesting because while I still remain a bit skeptical, no offense to Skylights, a bit skeptical as to whether we will see mass rollout of that, this or whether it'll be really focused um, PR type stuff um, to drive interest from passengers, but. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to be proven wrong, by the way, Skylight. So I, I'm just, I just remain a bit skeptical about mass rollout. But where we are seeing AR and VR, fascinatingly, is in educating the passenger about what to expect on board, which I am all about educating the passengers. So we are starting to see Emirates is a, is a good example, where they're now allowing you to see a really interactive, this is what the product looks like, this is what you can expect, and that really allows, obviously, passengers to make an informed decision. So they're using this technology in that way, and, and that makes a tremendous amount of sense. And what I love about the fact that Emirates is doing it is that they're owning it. They're only, Emirates is known, obviously, for being a premier carrier in the world and offering a great service. But they are, like many of the other airlines, also flying aircraft that have um, you know, high-density seating capacity, uh, particularly on their 777s. Um, and this is an airline that is effectively saying, this is our product. We own it. And there's something super refreshing about that versus kind of the cloak and dagger, you know, here's what you may get, what you don't get. I, I, just, I just love the fact that now technology is being used to, to educate passengers more and more. And, and uh, I think that's going to be meaningful. And then maybe someday passengers will start booking more based on experience instead of fair. <laughs> I, don't nice? know that, I don't know that we're there yet, but... Hey, you know, it, I, we seem to be getting to a much more educated and savvy traveler, and that is super exciting. Well, unfortunately, we're rapidly coming to a close. We want to thank our listeners, and remember, you can find us online at runwaygirlnetwork.com. Um, be sure to follow all the Runway Girl ne- Network activity on Twitter. We're very, very active at, at Runway Girl. And remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. We would love to have you. I'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, Jetliner Cabin's ebook app. And I'd like to thank Becca for being our guest. Becca, where can listeners find you at? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Runway Girl Becca and also at RunwayGirlNetwork.com. Great, Becca. Always a pleasure. And we'll ask all of you to join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX Podcast. Take care, everyone. 